Welcome to Live in a Home That Pays You Back, the podcast for people who want to get the absolute most out of owning a home. Your host is Anna Simone, who explains how your home can be healthy, sustainable, and provide long-term security for you and your family. Anna's guests include technology leaders and innovators in the housing industry who share the kind of knowledge you need to meet the market with confidence. Make informed decisions about home construction, renovation, energy scores, water conservation, wind, solar, geothermal power, and lots more. It's time for you to live in a home that pays you back. Now here's your host, Anna Simone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live in a Home That Pays You Back podcast. Today, our topic is building wealth, and we are so fortunate to be speaking with Julina Ogilvie, who was a wealth advisor and partner of Principal Wealth Partners in Westport, Connecticut. Now, Jelena has 20 years' experience in asset management and has served as executive director for J.P. Morgan, and she was also a regional manager for Lord Abbott Private Wealth Group. Now, she also hosts the Women on Wealth podcast and has also written a book about how to educate your daughters about money. She's a competitive triathlete, got two teenage daughters, a couple of dogs, what a busy lady, and she's brilliant. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today, Jelena. Welcome. Oh, Anna, it's so exciting to be here. Thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> you are a busy lady and very brilliant. I admire you. Oh, boy. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I have to ask you right off the bat, my first question is, I noticed that on your LinkedIn profile that you mentioned how you were inspired by your grandmother about finances. So can you start off by telling us a little bit of that backstory? Sure. And there's actually two stories. There's a follow-up to it. But my grandmother, kind of looking back, I didn't realize how influential some of my experience was growing up. But when I was in about high school, I was with my grandmother and I was going through her office and her things. And she had this Rolodex on her desk. And I remember asking her what it was. And her response was, oh, these are our investments. And I, you know, I asked her, well, what does that mean? And, and she proceeded to tell me, well, everything that we own is really in this Rolodex. And now, mind you, my I should step back. My grandparents were were fairly well to do. My my grandmother was very independent for her time. One of the first to graduate from University of Illinois as a female. Hmm. Met my grandfather there, and he retired from the Air Force, a full colonel. Wow! And he was by the time he retired from the medical field, he was chief of staff in Asheville, North Carolina. So my my grandmother never had to worry about money, but she was very intent on understanding it. And I didn't realize that until this Rolodex. And her comment to me was, I need to understand the finances in case I outlive your grandfather. And at the time, mm. this seemed very, this, I don't think that we talked about longevity the same way we do now. I think a lot of I us know. know that women outlive men. And yes. that was her point. She understood that and she was right. I lost my grandfather in 2008. I lost my grandmother in the pandemic. Oh. And by the time she had passed away, she was for many, many years on her own and, and she managed the finances. So that was wow. important to me. 
Yeah. And then the other oh. thing is just following that conversation with her in high school, I was having a conversation with my mother who was a successful real estate agent. She was a top producer her entire career at Weikert Realtors, which is prominent in the Northeast. And she said to me, as we were going through the college application and they're asking all this, you know, all these questions about money, she said to me, you know, you really should make more than your husband so that if you ever divorce him, you're financially set. <laughs> she cl- now she claims, she, I put this in the book and she claimed that she didn't say it that way. And I, I don't, I think her point was, I just want to make sure you are financially secure. And, and between those two conversations, whether it's divorce or whether it's longevity, it really instilled on me that I, as a female need to manage and understand my own finances. And I think that's how I ended up in the financial industry. I think I was led here because I, I knew I need to under, understand it. So. Yeah. And it's amazing how many people out there who are very well-educated They all called me over and over every time they refinanced their homes because they just really had a hard time understanding, you know, mortgage financing. But, you know, I I applaud your whole history, Jelena, because I think that both men and women, we... we really need financial role models. It's really important. And you... I'm telling you, you were blessed with some fantastic role models in both your grandmother and your mother. I think I was. Thank and you. So, <laughs> now, now I'm getting a little bit more history about what inspired you to write your book. So why don't you tell us about your book? This is going to go on for generations from your grandma to your daughters and granddaughters, probably. Yeah, I think so. So I, you know, I've been in the industry now for 25 years. And right. when I was traveling and working with financial advisors, I don't think I understood the emotional aspect as much. I was I was taught to run around and talk about the markets and the economy and how do you invest. And when I became an advisor and created the podcast, I really started to realize how emotional money and investing is for individuals, whether you're a female or a male. Yeah. And, and then that's when I realized that how much it instilled on me. It, it took me a long time to figure that out. And through the process of interviewing women for the podcast to ask, you know, to ask these successful women what do you want to hear? What's important to you? It inevitably came up over and over again. Well, my belief on money, my value of money, the reason I'm scared of investing is because of name some experience that, that, that occurred to them at a very young age. And so the more and more mm. this occurred to your point, I have two girls. They are now, I can't believe I'm saying teenagers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you know, this happened in the pandemic where my husband and I were having these conversations at home all the time about what value are we instilling on our girls? How do we talk about allowance? And I realized that, wow, the two of us have both been in finance for 25 years and we're arguing about how to teach our girls about money. And so that's really where the book came from. And I, and I Hmm. was very specific about the book to help educate parents around teaching money and finance to girls. I think it's important for everyone, but I was very specific to girls because I do think that there are additional hurdles that that we need to overcome as we get older. Whether we're living longer, divorce rates, um, we lose confidence at a younger age than boys. You know, all of that wrapped into one, it creates that that need. Oh, I absolutely agree. No, I know I'm dating myself, but I have friends my age, my peers, who completely fell apart when they lost their husbands 
mostly through divorce. And even when they, even though they got divorced at a young age, it's like in their 40s, they never seem to get a stronghold on managing their finances. And so one of my friends, she allowed her husband to take a second mortgage on her house, you know, over some divorce equity split was $20,000, and her house was worth maybe $300,000 at the time when she lost it. But what happened was she was never late in her mortgage. Now, I can tell you that when you have a second mortgage on your house, the holder of the lien has a right to issue a foreclosure action against your house. And because of a dispute that she had with her husband as retaliation, he went and foreclosed on the house over his over the twenty thousand dollar mortgage, mm. because it it was going to be she was going to pay him when they sold the house and she would give him the equity, so there was no monthly payment involved, and it wow. was a it was a really really horrible mess. She, I she was on the phone with me. She was in New York. I was in Boston for hours crying, and I never seemed to be able to get through to her and understanding the logic of how this could happen. So she lost her whole house, and he ended up acquiring the home and renting it out and, you know, owned it as an investment property. And it's funny, they're still friends today, and they get along, and this is what happens when you have children and grandchildren. Sure. But I think that even if you have a lawyer explain things to you, which she had, a lot of times, as you say, the key word is emotion. Mm-hmm. And so when someone is going through a hardship, whether through sickness, death, or divorce, even if it's a friendly divorce, it's still emotional, and that clouds our judgment, and it makes it harder. And, of course, I was at her house in New York many times because I lived there for 10 years, so it was many, many years ago. And it was an absolutely gorgeous home. And that home right now, I'm guessing, is worth about $2 million. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I'm going back 20 years when she lost it. But anyway, so for our listeners, speaking of, you know, owning a home and building a wealth, can you start at the top and talk a little bit about the kind of advice you give to women And maybe address two categories, those who have money, I mean, like lots of money, (laughs) and then those who are earning, you know, they got, they got, they they got a graduate degree, they just got a new professional job, maybe they're making $150,000 a year, $120,000, they want to own a home. And they're probably single women, which I just want to say on the air is, according to Freddie Mac, is the fastest growing group of home buyers in America are single female head of households. So why don't you give us a couple of scenarios, Jelena, your advice? Yeah, I think that the most important thing with buying a home is understanding all of the finances around it, right? And a lot of times, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, what's the money I need to put down What's that mortgage look like? What do those payments look like? But I think that we need to look a little bit deeper sometimes to understand there's a lot more to owning a home, right? And having, for example, having an emergency fund so that when the roof falls apart or there's some type of surprise, right? It's it's the most amazing thing about homeownership. There's a lot of surprises. 
And yes. I think that having that emergency savings is critical, whether you have a lot of money or whether you're just starting out. And I think that's the foundation. And the, and the other part of it is, you know, want, you want to make sure that you are still saving for your financial future and you ha- that you're going to have that security moving forward. And so making sure that you have a plan to invest the way that you can for that financial future, whether it's putting money in a 401k, um, if you don't have access to that, opening up different types of accounts. If you have children, are you putting money away for college education, if that's something you want to do? And it's, it's really making sure that you're balancing all of those decisions out versus trying to make one decision at a time. When you make these linear decisions, it's very hard to get where you want to get where you actually want to be, if that makes sense. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So when you, when you interview a customer for the first time, I mean, when people call you for a, for a wealth building program or financial management, do you ever have any people that don't own a home and and they come to you for investment advice and wealth management, but they're renting, maybe they're paying a lot of money in rent. So how does your conversation start with them? Yeah, and there there are those conversations where if you do have I, I you know I have clients that are renting right now. One that just recently went through a divorce, and she's renting for right now, and she's trying to make that decision on if she's going to buy again or not. And so you know I think that's the beauty of having of building out a financial plan is you can have these discussions to understand what the ramification is of okay if I'm going to move away from renting and buy a home, here's how much I need to put down based on what I think I can buy. And what does that look like and how is it impacting my monthly expenses yeah. right, versus what I'm trying to save and put away? And so we, we spend a lot of time. Uh, our firm, is, is, as you know, is a, are big believers in the financial planning process, not just the investment oh, yeah. process. And right. so we have these constant discussions of what are your goals? And if that is one of your goals, then let's look at the scenario and figure out which is the best solution for you. Hmm. Hmm. So I like the fact that you're working with people that you know aren't homeowners. But do people ask your advice on? Let's just say they have four or five hundred thousand dollars in a four hundred one k amount, you mm-hmm. know, fund, and you know because of where they live, the cheapest house they can find is a half a million dollars. The twenty percent down payment is a hundred thousand dollars. And let's say they don't quite have that much, or they do, but they want to put you know put some renovations in the house. So I know that we can borrow against our 401k and use some of that money to put down on a house. So can you can you walk us through an example of the numbers about what you would recommend someone who's in a high tax bracket? So someone's making a lot of money and so you know, they want to maximize, you know, their deduction. So maybe having a higher mortgage wouldn't be so bad. Correct. So can you give us a couple of points about on that topic? Sure. In in regards to the mortgage rate versus investing? Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, you know, talk a little bit about would you recommend someone borrow against their 401k instead of taking cash out of their investment portfolio? Yeah, I'll, I'll start there. So you, usually when it's the decision of where are you pulling the money from, most often we would recommend the taxable account versus the 401k. And, and the reason oh. being, even though you're allowed 
the reason being is that the, the, the power of a 401k is it allows you that tax deferral and it allows you to continue to grow those assets and not have to worry about paying taxes on it each and every year. So it is, right. it's a different vehicle than a, than a taxable bucket where you're taxed each year. So, you know, every scenario is different, but we usually would recommend if you can take it out of the taxable account to take it from there. But again, every situation can be a little bit nuanced. The second part of the question, which, which comes up all the time, especially in this environment, as you know, where mortgage rates change so drastically on I everyone know. is, you know, that question of how much do you put down? Should I pay off the mortgage sooner rather than later? And, and again, that's not an easy question, but in a simplistic way to think about it, I would say, well, let's look at the mortgage rate relative to your investment potential return. And so a lot of times, you know, if you look at mortgage rates today is, let's say, can we round out and say maybe 6%? Right. You know, so we say, okay, if, if you're looking at a mortgage of 6%, let's look at, po- at a possible investment return that if you're investing for the long term, you're in a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds. Historically, that's given us about 8%. That investment still gives you a better opportunity to grow those assets relative to that 6% mortgage rate. Right. Um, Now, this decision was a lot easier in past years when you were looking at mortgage rates that were much lower. So that is a little bit more of a difficult discussion today. But I do think it's always that answer of, well, what's your potential return versus what you're borrowing at now? If your investment, if you say you want to invest and get that 8% return, but you end up putting it in a cash account and that's mm-hmm. only going to give you one or 2%, then, then that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And again, you go, kind of go back to the emotions of, are, are you willing to put that in an investment account and re- achieve that type of return, which means you have to, you have to, you know, maintain the wherewithal of the, of the roller coaster ride of returns that's along the true. way. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes owning a home can be a risk. I mean, I, I have worked in this industry for 40 years, so I can tell you that back in the 80s, you know, when, when President Carter was in the White House and interest rates, gas prices were way, way up, and, you know, interest rates were skyrocketing on home mortgages to as high as 19%. So people were getting a 12% mortgage and they were very happy. And then all of a sudden in 1985, 1986, they were back into single digits again. But what we did see between 1980 and 1990 was very, very volatile. I mean, the rates would go from 75 or 8% and they would be back up into the low teens. And so what happened in the past six months, the first time in 10 years, because for the past 10 years solid, we have had mortgage interest rates that have fluctuated, well, that have been around 4 4 or 5%. But I will say that they are headed, you know, down. But so, Jelena, can, you know, getting back to your book and your, your advice for girls when they're young and saving money, yeah. I want to I talk about saving money for a house. I mean, so you have someone, a young family and you got two people working full time. They're working very hard, and they're living in areas where homes cost three or four hundred thousand dollars. And I just want to say, by the way, according to the latest news and statistics, no, I read this in an article, and it wasn't backed by anything 
specific like Statista or the MBA of America, but the article said, which came out today, that homes have gone up in value cost. Home ownership prices have gone up 40% since 2020. Now, that was only three years ago. Mm. Now, I think that's a very, very broad statement because I like to keep track of things regionally and by state. But, yeah. you know, the, the average wage in America is like $75,000. Okay, so when you have a household, two-person household, making under $100,000, but they're, they have a 401k and their employer is doing a match cash. So... Maybe they don't need to buy a house now. Maybe they should keep renting for three or four years. Then, so they won't be house poor. But can you tell our listeners, if you make $100,000 a year and you put 10% a year in your 401k, can you just, not so much in dollars and decimals, but just describe the long-term benefit of that account? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the first... I would also say, Anna, I, I grew up, as I mentioned, my mom was in real estate. She dated someone in real estate for over a decade. My, my father-in-law is in real estate. In fact, when my husband and I went and bought our first home, I had three realtors with me, which drove my <laughs> realtor crazy. So I understand the value of a home and the importance of it. But I think you hit it on the head. If you are young and you have access to a 401k that is matching as well, mm. you have to start there. Yeah. I would also encourage, I think it's important for young families and young individuals that are trying to save for a home and for their long-term savings, because that's hard. It's hard to make that it decision. Is. Yes. Is I would really take a look at your budget and how you're spending. And I think, because around, especially around here, you know, there are a lot of young individuals that have to be in the nicest apartment to rent, or they have to drive the nicest car. And mm. I, 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 I have interviewed and met so many young women that have become very successful where they are because they said, I didn't need that. I really cut it back at a young age and I made mm. sure that saving was the priority. And I think that's really important. And then trying to balance out the saving for the home versus the long investments. But with that said, to your point, is is when you take 10% of your what call it $100,000 income so that's $10,000. Yes. I'll give you I'll give you rough rough math. If you take 10 $10,000 a year and you put it away and you can earn 8%. Right? There that's going back to that sort of balanced portfolio. Huh. Over 20 years just mathematically that grows to 457,000. Oh what? Right? 20 now, years I'm flies by. That's, that's, I think most people will agree that's significant money. <laughs> I hope they agree. But what's interesting is if you ask someone the question, okay, so that what happens if that 20 year savings now becomes a 50 year savings, right? You're 20 years old, you start putting money away and you retire at 70, which is occurring a lot. And you put $10,000 away each year for 50 years. What is that same 8% growth return? And when I ask that question, a lot of times people do the math and say, well, the 457,000 multiply it by two and a half, and that should be about 1.1 million, right? Just roughly speaking. And that's not the case at all, right? Mm. Just by putting the 10,000 away for 50 years, it's 5.7 million. 
What? And the reason it's so much more is because, and this is what Albert Einstein calls the eighth wonder of the world, <laughs> it's the power of compounding and investments. It's taking that in interest, it's taking that return, putting it back in and growing that almost like a snowball effect. And I think wow. that is one of the most powerful elements of investing, which I think it's why it's so critical that you start at a young age, even though you're saving for a home, just make sure you're putting something away because it does snowball over time. And the more time you give it, the larger the effect. Obviously. Oh my gosh. $5 million from saving $10,000 a year. Now, it's just math. It's assuming everything goes in a straight line. It's assuming we're not emotional. <laughs> so That's true. That's And true I think that's again. why the guidance along the way is so important. Well, you know, you did mention something about having to have, you know, the best location, the best apartment, the best zip code. And, you know, coming from Boston, I was surrounded by zip code snobs. And I'm not ashamed to use that word. And I feel that people define themselves by, you know, living in a prestigious area. Okay, well, maybe 30 years ago, when a starter home cost $100,000, it was okay to buy in a snobby zip code. But if people have to pay $2 million to convince themselves that their kids are getting the best education, what happens? We still have a high foreclosure rate in America. We have people who bought their homes by stretching themselves way too far. The two-income family doesn't always have two full-time jobs after the closing because life things happen and things change. So I happen to be a big believer in, you know, not losing sight of what is average. That was my advice to my grandchildren when they were in school, if they... They were pressuring themselves to get A's, and I said, don't lose sight of just average. If you get a B, you get a B. And, you know, my granddaughter ended up being a neuroscientist. I mean, she was full scholarships, went to a you know, high-rated college. But, you know, it, I think you sometimes can do better when someone does take the pressure off. Yeah, you know, she had roommates whose parents said, "Don't go home unless you get an A," and I thought that was heartbreaking. Yes. So people put themselves under pressure, and especially when they own a home. And and the the real estate agent that I did interview on my show last month, he said that that is just very common. Yeah, and I went through. It's interesting. I went through this exercise with my mom after I graduated college. She gave me a time frame that I had to be out of the house. And, um, during that time I, I saved up, but it was interesting because, you know, realtors always say it's all about location, location, location. In my case, I was in my twenties and I was looking to buy a condo near Manhattan where my company was, and they were moving, they were moving to Jersey city. And I really wanted to move to Hoboken, right? That was my end area. And my mom's response was location for you is access to work and you're not going, you're going to save money. You're going to buy a condo in Jersey city and not in Hoboken because that way you'll be able to afford it. And then you're going to get a roommate who's going to help you with that, with that mortgage. And I did that for years and I was very fortunate. I sold it at a nice appreciation, but making the decision to move to Jersey city as a single woman in an area where I was a minority for many years, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. taught me a lot. And I, th- I thought that was an interesting experience. Well, Jersey City turned out to be really hot. I had some clients there and I loved it. Yeah, this was before there. then. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're all dating ourselves. But I remember you telling me once that you also bought the ski lodge in Vermont while you were working in Manhattan. Yes, so. I was, when I was traveling for work, Vermont was part of my territory. I had sold the apartment in Jersey City. I was renting in the area, and I decided to put that money and investment into uh, a place in Vermont. It was it was an investment where I rented to you know weekenders, and it eventually became our our home for my family. But yeah, it was a great investment when I was a young age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is the bargains in real estate are always going to be in the outliers, you know, because when I was renovating my, my new townhouse, all the contractors, they saw my books down in my library. And I, of course I had wrote my housing book in Spanish. So my contractors, a lot of them were Spanish and I would take, I was giving away all of my Spanish books because they, you know, they really wanted to buy a house. And they said, where should I buy? And I said, you buy in the outlier communities because when you're buying in a prestigious location, there's a bubble. And at some point, the homes just, be, they outprice themselves. They're not gonna go any higher. Yeah. And so that's where the supply and demand changes. And, but when you go to the not so famous outlier areas, you'll find that the appreciation rate, you could make 15, 20% a year on your home. Now, right now in Connecticut, according to another not totally backed up statistic, but an article that I read yesterday said that home prices in Connecticut are 20% a year appreciation. Not according to the Federal Housing Finance Agency, because I keep tra track of that like down to two decimals. But 20% a year mm -hmm. on a half a million dollar home or a $400,000 home right. is like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, so obviously, I mean, my whole book and everything that I've written about has been investing in your home. But you know, my I'm always talking about taking care of your house, renovating it, making sure that the improvements are up to date because that, that sustains the value of your house. But I think yeah. what we've learned from today from Jelena, which is so important, is taking care of your wealth management account, taking care of don't just put the money in a bank and forget about it. I think I think when we go to the bank and, and put money in a passbook account, we just walk away. And then we're not really keeping track or understanding how that money is growing. Mm -hmm. And so with a financial planner, you have someone kind of keep, it's like having a housekeeper for your money. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that, I, that came out wrong. That's almost insulting. But no, it's no, having no. somebody, it's like having somebody look after your money for you. Yeah. So it's not just an unconscious thing, but I just want to go back and revisit one thing that, we were talking about the employers who do a matched cash because if, if you know, because I owned a company in Massachusetts and by Massachusetts law, I couldn't give my employees, I couldn't give my, have an, a 401k for myself unless I gave my employees a contribution. Sure. And that was one important thing that I learned, you know, about, you know, owning, owning that business. And so I had to set all of this stuff up. But there are a lot of big companies out there. They are doing a match cash. So can you talk a little bit about what's typical in the workforce today on 401k contributions that are from employers? 
Yeah, there there has been a shift over the last couple of decades of employers offering more benefits. Yeah. And I think it's just the competitive landscape that everyone is in. They everyone wants really good employers and benefits are a key aspect of it. So, you know, making sure that the 401k is are offering some of these benefits. Most 401k plans today do offer that match. Most of them now today offer a Roth contribution. Um, again, it's just another way that your um, it's another vehicle on how your portfolio is taxed. And then there's a ton of other benefits. You know, employers now offer HSAs, and oh. you know, you talk about these different vehicles and how they're taxed. I'm a big believer of a lot of times when when clients come to us and we talk about diversification, right? It's the how are you managing the stocks versus bonds versus cash international, and that can that filters out into a lot of other categories. But I would also suggest that diversification of your portfolio are the types of accounts that you own, the types of buckets, right? And how they're taxed, a taxable account versus a retirement account. Like a traditional IRA is different than a Roth IRA. What about a 529? I'll go back to college, you know, you know, kids in college education, Hmm. HSAs, which are the only triple tax-free vehicle today to benefit for healthcare down the, down the, down the road. There are so many different buckets. And to your point, the more you're diversified in, in including, you know, including your home, the more levers you can pull when the economy goes a certain direction and you're, you know, you're, you need to consider what, how you're putting, take, putting money in your account or taking money out of your account if you're retired. All of those affect how to manage those buckets, if that makes sense. And I think that's part of the financial planning. It's making sure that you're optimizing each of those in, in your decision process. Well, the key word here is leverage. Because when we're in our 40s and 50s and we're feeling hopeless and we don't like our jobs and we don't know what changes to make and, you know, people are going, they're, they're doing things or they're not feeling good about life in general. And... I think that having the financial plan can be such a benefit for these people. I don't think you have to be rich. You don't have to be rich to have a plan. Julina, your advice is so great. I think that after you finish your book for girls, which I know is coming out soon. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Then I think you need to write a book for called Don't Give Up. It's Never Too Late to Start a Financial Plan. Yeah. No, I I, I would agree. I I would argue that individuals that are struggling with their finances need a plan more than ever before. It, it's to make these important decisions on where to start, how to start, and how to stay focused. It's, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to understand what we need to do, but actually implementing it is, can be difficult. And, and, and you know we're all busy and we all are multitasking and sometimes we don't focus on our on ourselves, I have noticed that a lot of women entrepreneurs hmm. would much rather take care of their business than take care of their retirement future. And, and I think oh, that, right. again, it's blending the two and making sure That's that true. you're not making one decision, not one linear decision at a time. Yeah. Well, another magic word that you, that you used a couple of times is bucket. 
because I think we tend to think in money as credit and debit, and we tend to think of it as two, in two buckets, you know, debts and income, debts and income. And what you're talking about as far as leveraging, which only adds to our security, is that this is what my house is worth, this is what my taxable income picture is, and the third bucket is the non-taxable. Mm-hmm. So, Jelena, I, I'm so impressed. Of course, I mean, I, if anyone knows this, if you follow me, I have done some podcasts for Jelena's podcast, yes. which, which is <laughs> Women on Wealth. When we really got into the, the weeds, talking about interest rates and home values and another one we did in you know, life stages of home ownership. But when I invited Jelena to be on my show, because I was having all of these people talking about, you know, energy efficiency and climate resilience. And I realized, hey, you know, my book is about living a home that pays you back, right? And what, what better payback is to get to buy a home that is affordable and allows you to still have leverage by having money in an investment account. And so the timing is perfect. Oh, good. Because I'm ha- I started my series in January, and here we are, soon to be in July. Yeah. The other interesting point on what you were just commenting on, which I would suggest is the same in financial planning, is that the economy is constantly changing. The laws are constantly changing. And so managing the most of your investments, uh, it's important to stay aware of you know, how you can maximize all of these changes. And we talked about that on my podcast. And so I think it's the same right. for home ownership as it is for the investment, the investment side. Right. You know, what I think in values has a lot to do with it too. And, you know, whether it's designer clothes or, you know, Michelin star restaurants or for first class vacations, it's, I think you need to kind of drill down the expectation level to, do we really need to have the best of everything? I mean, I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to Europe in, in September, and I am doing it very cheaply. And I, and, I, and I have been on some nice tours, but this time I'm doing it, things a little bit different. But I just want, I started to say that 10 minutes before our podcast began, I got the news, and Maxine Waters has introduced three new bills for affordable housing because we do have a crisis in America. But one one of the bills, which I find fascinating, is called it's a down payment assistance program for first generation home buyers. And I love that. I mm. love the fact that because we have a lot of multicultural people out there that they tend to sometimes be the first person, you know, when their family they'll say this at their college graduation, I'm the first person in the family to graduate in college. And when they buy a house, I'm the first person in my family to buy a house. And because we now have a half a million homeless people in America, um, we have these three new bills to come up, you know, to try to help more people afford homes. But because we're talking about building wealth today and women and managing money, the first generation homeowner to me a little bit is about being proud of your achievements. And so we started off by talking about your grandmother who gave you the world's best mentoring and advice and your mother also. And you're doing that for not only your daughters, but for your podcast listeners and the readers of your new book. But I think that what keeps us going 
and what keeps us the drive in success for many women is just plain and simple pride. You know, proud that you have your own business, proud that you were the first one to graduate college in your family, whatever it is. And now it's just great to know that we do have a few politicians in the country that are backing people and that are understanding these, you know, personal needs and doing something about it. So, yeah. Jolena, where can people find you? So, you, you want, if you want to give your email address, website address, go ahead. Uh, anything and everything is welcome. No, sure. The firm website is principalwealthpartners.com. Right. My email is jogilvy at principalwealthpartners.com. And if you want to connect with my podcast or my YouTube, which is new, that's on my website, which is jolinaogilvy.com. Okay. And... I will spell Ogilvy for you. It's O-G-I-L-V-I-E. And if you don't have a pen, no worries, because all of this will be typed on the podcast announcement on not only my website, but all of all of the podcast channels. That's great. I'm, I'm happy to chat with anyone, so I appreciate okay. that. Oh, your advice has been amazing. I love it. Oh. Thanks, Anna. This was fun. I really and I, fun. I can't thank you enough because the feedback on my podcast with you was amazing. So I would encourage the listeners to come check out our podcast that was on women on wealth. Oh, I'm glad. I didn't I really never asked you about the feedback. I'm glad it was good. <laughs> As you know, we can track it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, listen, well, we'll say goodbye and thank you very much. Thank you so take much. Take care. Okay. Take care. Thank you for joining us today on the Live in a Home That Pays You Back podcast. We hope you tune in again where we'll share more insider secrets so you get the absolute most out of your home. Check out Anna Simone's award-winning book, Live in a Home That Pays You Back. Available at Amazon and major booksellers in print, audio, and ebook. For more information, visit AnnaDeSimone.net. If you like what you heard, remember to follow Live in a Home That Pays You Back and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.